and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast in which our team of experts, our clients and industry specialists share insights into the way we live, work and invest through the lens of commercial real estate. I'm James Jurgensen, State Director of CBRE's Industrial Logistics Team here in Victoria, and I'm the host of today's episode, The Future of Industrial and Logistics Property. Today we're here to look into the future of the industrial logistics property sector and expand on the bold property prediction for 2030 that I made in a LinkedIn post last year promoting this podcast series. Here I spoke about how e-commerce, consumerism, buyer expectations and technology will reshape the way our INL sector looks in 10 years time. Imagine deliveries of milk and eggs arriving at your door without you even knowing that your smart fridge has placed the order after it detected you were running low. The order dropped off on your doorstep by a drone, which was dispatched by robots from a second generation logistics centre that was originally a suburban commercial car park. To explore all of this, I'm incredibly lucky to be joined by a couple of industry experts, Michelle McNally, General Manager of Property at Australia Post, and Christine Miller, who is CBRE's very own supply chain expert. Both are here to help me put some meat on the bones of these concepts and provide some valuable insights into some of these topics. Thank you both very much for joining us, Michelle and Christine. It's great to sit down and chat. Thanks, James. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's get started and take a look at the future of the INL property sector and some of the concepts that will shape the landscape. Let's be bold, have some fun and get all the crazy ideas we have for the future out on the table. Michelle, it's great to have you today. Um, Australia Post have released their e-commerce report for 2020, which provides some interesting stats on how the COVID pandemic changed the e-commerce landscape. Are you happy to share some of the key learnings from this report with us, which might provide some meaning of the importance of the futuristic topics we're going to unpack today? Yeah, sure, James. Look, I think it's really handy. Um, If we're looking forward to 2030, it's actually a good idea to look back to 2020 and what happened. And this report's a a fantastic report because it really does pull apart um, what happened in e-commerce and and a lot of the shopping trends uh, that happened during the year and, and what is that going to mean looking forward. So some of the really interesting statistics from last year is that over 2020, four out of every five Australian households made a purchase online. That's about 9 million households or 82% of the population. And uh, this included, for last year, 1.3 million new households buying online for the first time. So that was a huge change. And a lot of that was actually due to COVID and obviously lockdowns in various states and and not being able to shop and social distancing, etc. And um, this increasing engagement that happened around e-commerce actually meant that e-commerce, we believe, grew by 57% year on year, which is just huge. And uh, estimate around $50 billion of online purchasing occurred last year. So the really important statistics, though, that, um, that is really the percentage of total retail sales that accounts for. And Australia Post estimates that to be around 16.3% of total sales. And, you know, uh, looking back sort of in 2019, we didn't think we'd get to 16% of retail sales until 2023. So really, there's has been a huge change, structural change in, in e-commerce um, driven by uh, COVID and what happened last year. And But one of the interesting things around that is actually the debate as, as to, is this new behaviour sticky? Are the customers going to continue to shop online? And what we're seeing over the last couple of months is still very elevated levels of online shopping. And Australia Post looked at these 1.3 million new households and, and quite carefully sort of 
worked out, are they going to continue to shop? You know, is this just a one-off for them or is this a change in behaviour? And what we're showing in the last couple of months is that they are still continuing to shop. And so these shopping buying patterns are actually sticking. And many of these new shoppers have converted to regular shoppers. And what we're also seeing is that the shoppers are actually um, also shopping more frequently, even the ones that were shopping last uh, the year before, and that frequency levels are up quite high as well. So, you know, it leads us to believe that there are some, um, I suppose, what we call sustained participation is, is actually occurring or the stickiness of, the, of e-commerce. And, you know, that was actually supported by an ABS Australian Bureau for Statistics survey that was done on the household impacts of COVID-19. And that survey was done and a third of respondents indicated that they prefer to shop online more now that they did prior to COVID. So it doesn't mean that they're necessarily substituting it. They're just saying they're more, they're more comfortable with buying online. So um, it is really quite an extraordinary uh, events that happened um, during 2020. And it really has paved the way for a significant change in the market. And we're seeing that play out in industrial property and, and uh, a lot of the retailers uh, resetting their networks and resetting their plans, looking ahead to prepare for um, sustained growth in, in e-commerce. Thanks for sharing that, Michelle. It is fascinating to hear how much of an impact COVID had on accelerating this whole e-commerce, which was booming anyway. As we see from those stats, consumerism and e-commerce make the world turn, really. And at the moment, big organisations are spending billions and billions trying to come up with the algorithms and technology that will help automate our buying process so that they can fill our orders without us even placing them. So that example I used before, think about fridges that reorder supplies on our behalf because we're running low or smartphones listening to us and arranging for that latest pair of Nikes to be delivered to your door by the time you get home because it just eavesdropped on you having a conversation with a friend. That conversation was in person, not even on the phone. It all sounds pretty convenient and also pretty scary, particularly the last part. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are the concepts at the heart of this intrusive convenience. Christine, as head of CBRE supply chain consultancy business, I'm probably taking you a little bit outside of your normal scope here. However, I imagine that you are exposed to these concepts through conversations with clients. You're also a mother of two teenagers, and I dare say you would find some of this, particularly the smart fridge, pretty convenient. Do you have any insights on this for us? Yes, I definitely do. And we absolutely need a smart fridge. It would allow us to avoid the crisis that occurred this morning when it was identified that there was no bacon in the house. So we need that technology quickly. If we look at artificial intelligence, yes, it would be great to have that convenience. But what drives that convenience is actually artificial intelligence to be able to plan demand. And this is where occupiers and retailers can now take this technology and if they can get better at forecasting demand and forecasting is hard there's a reason it's hard is because you need to take all these inputs and artificial intelligence allows for a higher number of inputs to be analyzed that then allows for the forecast to become more accurate and if forecast can become more accurate inventory levels can become more accurate and stable That will allow for the distribution needs in terms of size to become more accurate and more stable. That ultimately will roll into the property industry, allowing for occupiers to be more specific about their requirements for lease terms attached to different sizes. 
So I think the sooner we can get more AI into the demand planning, we'll absolutely see an impact to the way property can support businesses in terms of their distribution. Mm, interesting. Well, well answered. The next topic on my list here is autonomous vehicles and drones. Michelle, in your old Australia Post, the biggest parcel delivery provider we have, was this a topic on your agenda and uh, are you guys looking at how to do things more efficiently and with more control in this regard? Yeah, look, it's, it's really interesting in terms of, um, you know, transport is, um, you know, a significant cost um, in, I suppose, the post network as any supply chain, both in terms of, of cost and time. And so, you know, technology and investment um, in the transport area is, is only going to increase. And I suppose from Australia Post perspective, I actually see that coming together with the focus on carbon emission targets um, and how that's driven through um, transport as well. And so really, you know, we're coming at this from quite a few different angles and looking at, you know, energy efficient carbon neutral um, vehicle fleets, as well as a safety perspective. You know, we've recently rolled out electric vehicles to replace our posty bikes. And that's all about ensuring that there's safety, obviously they're more energy efficient, but also we can actually deliver more parcels, which is really around um, a more efficient process as well for us. So, you know, we're coming at it from quite a few different directions. In terms of looking out right into the future and, you know, my personal view, and this is, you know, not necessarily a view of Australia Post, but I think um, autonomous vehicles will be more impactful um, rather than drones. I think they'll probably be more acceptable by the community and probably drive um, efficiency earlier. And look, if you do go online and do, if you do look at what's happening overseas, you know, there are um, pilots occurring or, or tests occurring, you know, particularly in America, around, you know, very large line haul vehicles being tested. You know, and I feel that's probably the first area that we will see autonomous vehicles in, in multi-lane roads, very simple um, sort of straight line, point-to-point type of um, transport. And uh, many of those are sort of targeting to have, you know, fleets on the ground, you know, in sort of 23, 24, 25. So, you know, it's potentially not long away, but it will take a long time for fleet replacement to occur. Um, you know, but it's definitely something that's going to be happening this decade. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. It's it's really not far away at all. Um, so on that topic, Christine, if we're only a few years away from autonomous vehicles and drones, what sort of impact do you think that they will have on the design of warehouses and logistics centres going forward? Will occupiers need to change their design and layout to enable the property to interface with these vehicles? Absolutely. And I think this technology, I agree with Michelle, is a lot sooner than we might be cognizant of is if we look overseas in the U.S., UPS has just placed an order for delivery in 2024 for what they're calling an EVTOL, which is an electronic vehicle that can have vertical takeoff and landing. So if you can envision what would be produced if a helicopter and a small regional jet produced a child, it would be this cargo capacity of up to 600 kilos of cargo that would be an electrical vehicle that can actually land on top of the distribution centers. But as they're electric, they need charging stations. So we're going to start to see these types of requirements come into those facilities. So this would be a vehicle that could actually then bring product into a last mile distribution center with autonomous vehicles and or drones then really taking that last mile. But that could then be the way to get product from the primary industrial areas into these last mile fulfillment. So we will have to start thinking about space as well as charging stations for the future of these vehicles. Yeah, more hard stand, dedicated drone landing 
on roofs and housing. It's it's really is, it's quite fascinating. It'll change the way that we really see transportation, and it's happening quickly. So I think we'll definitely see this with deliveries coming in 2024. They're expecting things to be operational by 2728. Amazing. Before the 2030 that we're making these predictions for. <laughs> exactly. We're ahead of schedule already. Yeah, I think, I think James, it's, um, I suppose from my perspective, I think it's going to be interesting around there's a whole social acceptance of some of these things as well, which I think is is part of it's going to track this timeline. You know, I feel that, um, you know, people, you know, it's, we're seeing the slow creep of this technology, but I think, um, yeah, having drones fly around and deliver, deliver things and, and in that capacity, I think uh, it'll be, that will be part of the, the rollout as well as is, is social acceptance of, of uh, this change. Yes, and then also the environmental impacts that you were mentioning before. I hadn't considered that, but I think that will fast-track some of these changes as well, not just money-making, corporate money-making. It's also the sustainability aspect. So on to automation and robotics, a topic that most occupiers want to talk about. Theoretically, they allow more efficiency and greater utilisation of a warehouse. They speed up and improve accuracy when picking and packing orders, and they should allow us to get closer to achieving deliveries of product within hours rather than days, which we as consumers all want. Where do we currently sit with automation and robotics, and what are the challenges? Michelle, I'll ask you to answer first. Well, James, I suppose Australia Post has increased its automation in its network substantially over the last sort of five years, and that's really been required to meet the volume growth that, that has been experienced. Um, and so, you know, what we are finding is it's definitely delivering a faster service. Um, it's providing greater tracking capabilities of the product, um, so you have better visibility of, of the efficiency or, or the performance of your network. And importantly, it's actually increased um, safety of our people as well. You know, it's that's and that's not to be underestimated. That's a, a really, really important part of, of uh, automation. And um, you know, but we we also have a significant automation program ahead of us as well to, to keep up with um, the the forecasted um, growth in volumes. But one of the challenges, I suppose, we're we're facing, which which um, most other sort of people that are upgrading their, their supply chain is is around getting that automation from overseas. You know, demand is actually high globally, and this equipment is is very difficult to secure. So, you know, I think that for will um, potentially you know create its own problems over the next you know couple of years as as you know globally everyone's um, looking to actually drive these efficiencies into their supply chains. Interestingly, uh, you did mention around um, same day service. And, and we actually do have same-day service for some of our customers. Um, it's a small percentage, and, I, and that percentage is likely to increase as, as e-commerce retailers, you know, increase their competition uh, to actually get, um, you know, I suppose a greater market share. But interestingly, you know, people don't always want uh, same-day service as much as they actually want um, a reliable delivery window and knowing when their parcel is going to arrive and the choice of where it actually arrives as well. And we're trialling some technology right now to provide um, customers with a window, a delivery window, for which um, to notify them their parcel is going to be delivered. And, you know, it's really, um, in all of this technology, you actually have to make sure that you're applying it to solve the problems or, or make the life easier for the, for the end customer. And uh, so it's not necessarily always the, the big bang it can be a um, smaller sort of application of technology to augment the, the network to actually deliver the service to the, to the customer that they're looking for. That, that's another interesting point it's not just about fastest delivery times but actually choice and uh, getting those deliveries times right to suit the consumer. Christine on that point what are you seeing now and what do you think we'll be uh, seeing in 2030? I think we're 
going to see a lot of change between now and 2030 in this area, because I think up until really right about now, we've had heavy steel-based fixed automated solutions. And there's a lot of technology now that's coming with a bit more flexible installation into existing sites. It comes at a more manageable capex. And I think the other thing that we'll see happen is I think we're going to see this integration of the human processes with those that can be automated. I've heard them referred to as Hubot solutions. So I think we'll end up with robots or automation handling a portion of the process in the warehouse and having that interact with the processes that are better handled with human workforce. And I think we'll see that integration become more acceptable and more of a normal way of operating, really just taking advantage of the optimization of technology to match the right process. I think that'll get more creative in the coming years. Christine, the the Hubot scenario that you just mentioned, traditional roles that we see inside a warehouse under this Hubot scenario, what do you see the humans doing versus the robots? I think if we saw the humans doing the part that requires increased dexterity and complexity, so a lot of the item picking that needs to be done in e-commerce, particularly when the products vary in size, shape, and weight, that's easier done with a human solution. But whereas the replenishment of product into the actual e-commerce picking lines could absolutely be done by robots uh, quite efficiently. And I think touching on the points that Michelle made about safety, velocity through a facility, you could drive all of that as well as a high accuracy in the picking process by combining that technology. Now, if we talk about the properties themselves, and there's been a, a lot of discussion over the last couple of years about last mile logistics and also probably multi-story. I'm not sure anyone's quite figured out what last mile logistics quite looks like yet but I wanted to introduce another topic today that's closely related second generation or repurposed facilities becoming parcel hubs and perhaps these last mile logistics outlets an example of this as I look a decade ahead might be you know if we're all in uber style autonomous vehicles perhaps commercial car parks become somewhat redundant and may be converted into parcel delivery hubs in densely populated areas. Christine, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that that's uh, feasible? I think it's very viable when we look forward because one of the learnings I've had about autonomous vehicles is apparently we won't all have one. So we will be in this common user structure. So there will be that infrastructure. I think what you'll see is the location be really important in terms of being connected to that delivery catchment population. But I think you're going to see demand exceed availability. So I think we might even have an opportunity for not only multi-story for second generation locations, but also mixed use is within those urban areas. If we're talking about last mile distribution, you could have commercial on the ground floor and then parcel distribution happening on the upper levels. And I think we're going to see as that e-commerce penetration continues to grow, demand for these infill locations will exceed supply. So I think there's a great opportunity to reuse in the future some of these spaces that we won't be using potentially for car parks or, or other transportation 
Yeah, it's interesting, Christine, just on that. Um, you know, even now in some markets, we, we're really struggling to get um, those infill locations. You know, over the last few years, you know, many traditional industrial locations in the inner city have and other sort of areas have, you know, been rezoned to residential and, and other type of uses and it has locked out, um, you know, and, and now those opportunities just aren't there. And so I think, you know, in the short term, in some of those locations, you will be seeing, you know, shared facilities come into play because there really is not a lot of options when we go to some markets and, and we are quite frustrated in terms of, um, of of looking for solutions. So I think there will be some innovation occurring, James, you know, earlier than, than what you might think. I couldn't agree more with you, Michelle. And just looking at Victoria, we've got record low vacancy rates, constrained land supply and a lot of frustration with, with occupiers and not a lot of choice. So I do think that this topic is going to come on faster than anyone expects and we'll be talking about it a lot. And in, in some respects, James, we're also already doing this now. It's really interesting, you know, with our electric vehicles, our EDVs, we create outstations for them because of, I suppose, travel distance that they have and, and proximity to the rounds, etc. because posties actually deliver about 50% of our, our parcels, actually, which is most people don't actually know. So we're actually already putting some of these in, in existing in sort of shops, for example, where there's no longer a demand for retail in these neighbourhood locations, you know, we're repurposing them and putting in into shop fronts and, and delivering out of there. So we've had to be quite innovative in where we're putting these things and, and uh, I think that that will actually be uh, create um, you know, more and more opportunities and more discussion for you know, how you integrate these facilities because they, they are required, they are a part of um, this, you know, people, you do need to be close to the customer and we do need to be in those locations. And that's a great point, Michelle, and, and so you're already doing it. Can I ask, was that a reaction to the increased demand that you saw last year and you just had to start thinking creatively or was it part of a strategy? It's a bit of both. I think in, in reality it's very much driven by vehicle type uh, and, you know, electric vehicles that we're using have a certain travel time or distance, um, so it requires them to be placed within, I suppose, um, within a location um, to service the, the rounds. And uh, and that meant we had to go into some locations that were very densely um, residential or and, and didn't really have, weren't an industrial location. So it was sort of a driven out of need. Um, but what we did see was the ability for the market to respond and to repurpose some of locations. Now on multi-story, Michelle, Christine just touched on it with repurposing car parks and those sorts of things. But if we look at new development in multi-story, I think everybody would agree that it's probably a case of when, not if, and we will get there. But if you're a betting woman, what year do you think we see the first multi-story warehouse developed here in somewhere like Port Melbourne? Oh, James, I do have a betting account. It doesn't get used very often, mainly around uh, um, Melbourne Cup, and that's probably about it. So I'm not a great better. But uh, in terms of Port Melbourne, look, I know there are um, various developers with designs for, for multi-story. So they're there. They've got their site selected. You know, they are looking for pre-commitment tenants. Um, so they are, you know, I think it is a matter of when it will happen. I imagine it will be a few years. I think markets like South Sydney, you know, that will be, you know, the land prices there are so much higher that it really does support it um, from a feasibility perspective earlier than say you know some of the the Melbourne opportunities but um, you know the close proximity of Port Melbourne to the dense population definitely puts it in the in the right place for for multi-story to actually um, occur there and in a few years times I would think. Yeah I think it's I think you're right I think it's coming pretty quickly as well. Well 
that's just about all we have time for today. And I should probably let both of you busy women get back to your days. However, before I do, I can't let you go without asking you both for your bold predictions for 2030. So tough ask, but in three sentences or less, give me something to hang my hat on, please, Christine. My prediction is that e-commerce sales will be well north of 25% of total sales. And we will have multi-story facilities. They will be common user facilities with multiple tenants in the urban locations. And uh, what about you, Michelle? Well, it's pretty hard to beat those predictions, so I'm just going to add one on the top. Uh, for me, I think the automated vehicles will have a huge impact on, on location and where we'll be building out industrial facilities into the future. Um, if you think about it, if, if we're no, no longer reliant on you know, changeover of drivers um, and people can actually work 24-7 with an um, automated vehicle, you know, we potentially opens up a lot more locations um, you know, for logistics hubs, uh, places we wouldn't have ever considered. As an industrial leasing agent, that's music to my ears, just more spots we can do deals. It's terrific. Well, thank you very much to both of you for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to listen to some of our other conversations, visit cbre.com.au forward slash talking property or subscribe through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You'll find episodes on placemaking, real estate market outlooks, disruption in the industry, creating resilient assets and more. Until next time, see you later.